Alex Mosehead, and welcome to the holiday season special of Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech. Two big kind of headline topics are going to be regulation in Amazon, as well as TikTok and ByteDance. We have some interesting developments there. We're also going to talk about some kind of 2023 predictions and what we see happening for the year to come. So let's dig in with one of our running favorite themes on the show, China, China, China. So China, 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 let's go to LinkedIn. You've got this former uh, U.S. Air Force uh, chief software officer on LinkedIn. He said, so I asked ChatGPT, uh, the AI bot, right, that you, you ask it questions or you give it some bullets and it writes you a novel, why it thinks that the Chinese Communist Party's investment in TikTok and ByteDance is, is significant is significant. And here is what it replied. This is this AI bot uh, response. It is significant because TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance, have become very popular and influential social media platforms, particularly among younger users. This is an AI bot, okay? The CCP's investment in these platforms gives it a significant presence in the social media sphere and the ability to potentially influence public opinion and spread propaganda. Okay, nailed that. There are also concerns about the CCP's data collection practices through these platforms and the potential for the CCP to use the data for its own purposes. This raises concerns about the privacy of users and the potential for the CCP to use the data for malicious purposes, such as targeted advertising, manipulation of public opinion. What the AIBOT doesn't talk about is also recruiting people in the U.S. to become spies, right? So if you understand their interests or you understand information that you could use as blackmail, you can use that to turn them or target, you know, our Navy ships out in the ocean when you see a bunch of sailors that are, you know, their GPS uh, using TikTok. Good job, chat G- GPT. You, you know, know a thing or two. Also, if we look at what's now coming out in these Twitter files, right, we're seeing the U.S. Department of Defense and, and the U.S. FBI and Department of Justice use Twitter. And obviously, if they're using Twitter, they're using Facebook and Google in the same, if not bigger way. They're using Twitter to um, silence voices and opinions and discourse in the United States. The FBI is doing that. They're doing that actually on behalf of the broader intelligence community, also illegal. Not to mention what they're doing in the first place is a violation of our First Amendment rights. It's completely ridiculous what the FBI has done. Uh, and continue to do. So the FBI is is using social media to silence and curate and control free speech in the United States. And then you see the CIA and other uh, intelligence agencies that are only supposed to be operating internationally, then using Twitter and then more broadly U.S. social media to propagate their voice or, or to create a bigger a ramification or, or spread the voice of what the CIA wants spread in, let's say, the Middle East. That I'm actually very supportive of, right? Like, obviously, I want the U.S. to win. I've been a long, uh, I've long been a proponent of U.S. technology companies and and the Department of Defense working more closely together to help advance the U.S. interests abroad. So that part I I kind of like actually. The part in the United States, don't like, don't think it's appropriate. Don't, I think, I think they've actually broken multiple laws. They violated um, at least one, if not multiple, principal amendments in the Constitution that every American is supposed to enjoy those freedoms. Uh, and it's a complete travesty. Anyway, in a free society called the United States of America, if you have these covert actions happening between our Justice Department 
and social media in a communist totalitarian society called China, where the Chinese government literally owns the social media platforms and controls them outright. What would you expect to happen, right, in terms of that manipulation of of opinion and that censorship and the curation of free speech, right? If the DOJ and the FBI and Twitter are here on the spectrum, then the CCP and TikTok are over here. Another reason why we need to get ahead of this TikTok thing, it's been years now, come on people, is now you've got reports that actually ByteDance via TikTok wants to actually expand into the enterprise SaaS market in the United States. They want to offer, they actually have a business already set up and going where it's enterprise software business called Lark. whose offerings include productivity software similar to Google Docs and Sheets, as well as tools for Slack-like work messaging, video conferencing, project management, and HR management. Lark software is designed to compete with similar offerings from Microsoft and Google, as well as more specialized competitors like Slack, Asana, Workday, and Zoom. Its new hires in the U.S. this year have included a customer experience. So now they want to actually give SaaS tools to U.S. businesses to help them run and operate their business. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, please. Now, you say, oh, this is such a shock. Obviously, the Chinese government is going to subsidize ByteDance and write them a check so that Lark can offer its software at 50% the cost of what Microsoft and Google are offering it, right? So that's an issue. Can't, can't let that happen. It's actually much worse than now social media. The virus is spreading. Now, let's go to the next thing, which is our government is doing this too. Elon Musk recently went on a podcast, on a, on a Twitter space and was saying and was breaking down the numbers. And he was in a Twitter space. He was just kind of talking about the state of things inside of Twitter. And, you know, so he's basically saying, look, at revenue of three billion, Twitter's expenses are now six, six and a half. He's basically saying they were around, call it, well, they were actually much higher because Elon's actually done a bunch of layoffs, but he's basically saying of that six, six and a half billion, about one and a half of that is um, the fees for all the debt that, that they took out to fund the transaction because interest rates are going up and all these kinds of things, right? And he said, yeah, revenue of three billion. Okay. So it's interesting because let's look at uh, Twitter's 2021 financials. Here, their daily active users, which we know was all fake. They had uh, about $5 billion in revenue in 2021. And four and a half of that was was advertising. Half a billion was kind of data licensing and other. So if they do about $5 billion in revenue and they lose a little over 200,000, 200 million, you know, they're doing, they've got probably around five, five 5.25, right? $5.3 billion in expenses. What Elon's saying is now Twitter's call it at six billion in total expenses. He's brought their total expenses down from five and change to maybe four and a half. I mean, for all the layoffs, you'd think it would have gone lower. But the surprising thing in those numbers is the revenue decrease, right? Where he's saying that now they're looking at three billion in revenue, when in 2021 this thing was doing five billion. So you're saying. Wow, how do you how do you lose forty percent of your revenue? There's been advertisers that have stopped advertising on Twitter, sure, but forty percent of that money. You think forty percent of that money went away, and now it comes out in the latest batch of Twitter files that the federal government was paying money to Twitter. Now, 
So far, they've only uncovered, you know, a few million dollars here, a few million dollars there to make up for the Twitter, the Twitter's trouble of having to comply with all these basically takedown requests and information requests, all the things the government's been setting Twitter to do on its behalf. They say, oh, here's some money. I think that what we'll find as this goes on over the course of 2023, I think we will find that the government has been paying a lot more than a few million dollars to not just Twitter, but Google and Facebook to do its bidding. And to do its bidding, not just internationally, to project and enhance America's interests abroad, which, you know what, fully supportive of. U.S. tech company, government entities should be working, should be collaborating to secure our national security and our interests abroad, 100%. But this wasn't money from the CIA. Maybe there, there probably was money from the CIA, but this money was actually from the Department of Justice, from the FBI, for things that the FBI was having Twitter do to police and silence freedom of speech in the United States of America. And that is not okay. That's a big deal. People need to go to jail. What Elon is finding, part of the reason why he's doing this whole Twitter file thing is because I think there was some pretty real checks, some pretty big money coming from the federal government, which is now, I'm sure, drying up or has dried up almost entirely because uh, now he's shining a light on all of these literally criminal acts uh, that have been going on for years. So going back to TikTok, if our U.S. government not only is engaged in the policing and silencing of American voices via social media in the United States, but our American government is funding, is actually writing checks my guess is, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, not tens. I think it's hundreds of millions of dollars to social media collectively. I'm talking about Twitter, Facebook, and Google. Absolutely, we're talking about nine-figure kind of money. Is funding these social media companies to, um, to help the U.S. government impose its will on the American people illegal. Then you bring this to TikTok and you say, well, if that's what the U.S. government is doing, can you imagine what the CCP is doing? with ByteDance, with Tencent, right? Which Tencent um, has a stake in Reddit, in uh, Epic, which owns Fortnite, and a whole slew of other media-oriented games and media properties that interact, right? That sponsor the NBA. Remember, the NBA couldn't speak out about China, that player, um, and got into a bunch of trouble. What's his name? Dallas Mavericks guy was, was defending China against this, you know, ridiculous... Uh, upset by the Chinese. So you think then think about all these Chinese companies, ByteDance included, but ByteDance not alone, that are being funded and subsidized by the, by the CCP to do the same thing but worse in the United States. That's what's happening. We're just seeing a small sliver of it between our own government and our, and our social media companies. What's happening with the Chinese-owned companies and the Chinese funding to influence American opinion, we don't hold one iota, I think, of, of what is really going on between the CCP, ByteDance, and these other Chinese tech monopolies. So we gotta ban TikTok, we gotta get unified around this, we gotta get unified around the role, or really should be lack thereof, of our US intelligence agencies and Department of Justice in, social, in our own social media companies operating in the United States to silence American voices and opinions. Completely 
abhorrent and unacceptable. Let's cut to a couple predictions for 2023. The Fed continues to raise interest rates. We've called, we called on this show that inflation was not transitory for months, if not quarters, while the Fed said, no, 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 it's, it's transitory, it's transitory. Dummies, right? Then, of course, the, the U.S. Congress and the White House and all their brilliance decide to reelect the guy that missed transitory inflation, Jay Powell. Give him another term as the head of the Fed. Also, a horrible decision. This guy completely missed the ball. That's why now inflation has gotten way out of control. Who gets screwed the most when inflation is rampant? Poor people in the middle class. They get absolutely decimated by inflation. Now the Fed says, oh, we're going to make up for all the wrong and bad calls that we made by not doing anything when we said that inflation was transitory and it clearly was not. All you have to do is listen to the B2B distribution to the wholesale industry. They see this stuff six to 12 months before the consumers. And so we were on the show. Go check out our videos where I'm talking about here's what the CEOs of B2B distributors are telling me about inflation. It was very clear. And, and by the way, here's what the data from they have inflation readings for, for wholesale distribution. Here's what those readings are saying. Here's what the CEOs are telling me. Guys, this isn't that hard. So now uh, everyone's saying, oh my God, inflation, inflation, inflation. Japan said they have inflation. Everyone's freaking out. Wrong. We've gone way too hard on interest rate increases. It seems like they're going to continue to do more interest rate increases, that they being the Fed. Horrible decision. Once again, this guy needs to be fired. Jay Powell doesn't know what he's doing. And now you've got an article here from a couple of weeks ago saying wholesale inflation in the U.S. again slowed, further slowed in November to 7.4%. So it was 8% in October. It reached a peak of 11.7% in March of 2022, and it's now declining from 8% in October to 7.4% in November. Inflation is coming down. But the Fed, I don't know, for some reason, they don't understand that the actions they take have reverberations that don't show up for many months, quarters, and years, actually, in the economy. You know, they expect to kind of like oh, we raised interest rates and then inflation should just disappear. But this is a that's a consumer reading inflation, as we all talk about it, is a consumer index, consumer basket of goods, right? So if you, if you measure what's happening with consumer inflation, you're missing. And so I, I just feel like they're all caught up in the headline. No, inflation's coming down irrespective of if you raise interest rates again or not. By now continuing to raise interest rates, you're going to make it way harder for us to actually come out of this recession on the other side of this. So they should not be raising interest rates. They should actually, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have raised interest rates the last time. They've gone way too hard on raising interest rates. We're already seeing inflation come down for months now, but no, at, at least in the wholesale market. But no, they want to continue to raise inflation. So they're going to continue to raise interest rates. They shouldn't be doing that. Inflation's already come down. You're going to, you're going to start to see inflation come down in the consumer indices in 2023. We're already seeing it happen in the wholesale and the business indices at, in the second half of 2022. You're gonna see that trend continue. You're gonna see that the Fed went too aggressive on raising interest rates, which is now going to really decimate the economy. And now here's my prediction of what you're gonna to start to see. CNBC article here from a week ago. For most American businesses, new Fed rate means loans now start at 10%, 10% or higher interest, right? Small business loans are based on the prime rate, which will now be 7.5%, pushing SBA loans to 
10.5%. These are record rates. So the Fed raised, yeah, in Wednesday, uh, this was uh, last week, another 50 basis points. It's insane what they're doing. So now you have the cost of debt capital for businesses at the highest level in 15 years. The majority of small business loans will hit the double-digit interest level for the first time since 2007. Hmm. 2007. Oh, yeah, that's right. What happened in 2008? Oh, yeah, that's right. A massive crash. So we have yet to see in the economy, and I think what we're going to start to see in 2023 is this. You raise interest rates, home buying comes down, right? Immediately, the ability to buy a home becomes much more expensive, which then hurts consumer demand to buy home, make large purchases, take out large amounts of debt, right? Okay. So you see that stuff happen right away. You've been seeing that for months. Very clearly, they've killed the flame in the home residential market. Another thing is M&A. So the ability to go and buy companies and, and use cheap debt to do these acquisitions, that's also come down, right? Those are two examples of immediate things that happen less of when debt is more expensive. Got it. But now think about all the companies that were just acquired over the past few years with this record-setting amount of cheap debt, quantitative easing, banks needing to put money out there and that money needing to be deployed. What you will start to see starting in 23 and then into 24 is you'll start to see these large companies. I'm talking about companies with thousands of employees having a need to refinance their debt. And when they refinance their debt, you know, A, you make the assumption they can refinance their debt. They're going to refinance that debt at a much higher interest rate. A lot of the people that make these models, these analysts that make these models, Excel, run the numbers, right? The idea of having the level of Fed interest rate hikes that we've had in 2022 alone, I guarantee was in maybe maybe 1% of these analyst models, right? Like this is unprecedented, the amount of rate hikes that we've had in such a short period. No one was factoring this into their models, guaranteed. So for the businesses that were then bought with cheap debt that, you know, they expected maybe the Fed goes to two, maybe 3% interest, right? So at some point you're going to start to see these companies that they refinance, their debt is now at a much higher rate and they just can't service the debt. And they start to then needing to restructure. That's a fancy word for basically kind of going bankrupt, having to do layoffs, having to restructure your debt because you just have too much debt. It's too expensive. The business just can't continue on. Or you'll have companies worst case scenario or in a in a in a, in a worse scenario is where the businesses can't refinance. No one no bank will give them the money because they know they won't be able to service the debt because it's just too expensive. They don't have the cash flow to support it. And then those companies that can't refinance the debt, the debt comes due, the bank calls the debt, you go bankrupt. We haven't even seen that stuff happen. That stuff is a thousand percent going to happen. I think you're going to start to see that happen with some pretty big companies, companies that have, again, thousands of employees, billions of dollars in revenue. You'd say, well, well you know, just and kind of out of the blue, right? You're, it's not like, oh, you say, oh, well, the economy's in a recession. Then you see, right? It, this stuff lags. It's, it's like, oh, well, the company just wasn't able to refinance or they refinance and they just couldn't service the debt. And boom, that is yet to happen. We're going to start to see that happen in 2023 for sure. So we've got some big news out of Europe with Amazon. Amazon agrees to change, uh, basically have this EU settlement, change some of its business practices. This is really actually, it's focused around the right thing. It's focused around the right premise that platform businesses have two customers. They have a consumer and they have a producer. And when platform businesses achieve monopolistic scale, 
wrote a book about this. Who do they take advantage of? It's actually not the consumer. It's actually the producer. So for Amazon, that's a third-party seller. For Google and Facebook, those are um, advertisers and content creators or you know, content creators on YouTube or on Apple. Those are app developers, right? Which we've seen Spotify and Fortnite and a bunch of now Twitter app developers get very grumpy at Apple and, and now kind of forcing Apple to actually allow other app stores, which is also a monumental uh, development there. But yeah, you, you don't see that, you know, the consumer, because the, the service and the product is free or it's heavily subsidized for the consumer, right? Amazon gives you free shipping. How could they ever make the argument that the consumer is truly disadvantaged when Amazon is a monopoly? No. Well, who gets taken advantage of are the small businesses and third party sellers. We talked about this for years on the show. That's actually the crux of what this EU... <laughs> EU settlement is looking at regulators who believe will help independent merchants selling on Amazon in just in Europe. The deal will require Amazon to give makers of rival products equal access to valuable real estate on its website. Basically, Amazon created its own first party product line called Amazon Basics, right? So Amazon created its own products to compete directly with its third party sellers. Kind of an issue, big conflict there. And then now in the past couple of years, they've gone berserk with advertising, right? So now not only do they favor their own products over third-party products, now if your third-party product wants to even show up in the top of the search results, you need to pay for ads. So now they've just, again, it's just like going on Google search, right? You go on Google, you want to find a non-advertised post for an organic search result. you got to scroll one or two times down the screen to actually find anything just organic. It's the advertising. They cram everyone down. So if you now have a website on Google, you want to stay relevant. Now you're being forced by Google, the platform, to pay a toll to pay for advertising if you still want your product to appear at the top of the result. Even though you have the best domain ranking and you have the most you know, links to your website and you've played the search game, right? Same thing on Amazon. Even if you have a great product, Amazon's product, I guarantee you, is worse, and they knocked off your product, but now they're going to force you to pay ads if you still want your product to show up in the top of the results, right? It's ridiculous. So now they're saying, okay, we will give equal access, whatever that means. I'm sure Amazon will uh, try and take advantage of the definition of equal access, and Amazon is going to be barred from using non-public information it gathers about independent merchants to inform its own product offerings. Basically, my characterization of this settlement is Amazon one-upped the EU. The EU should not have done this deal. They should have continued to prosecute Amazon. They were going after Amazon for up to 10% of their global revenue, which would have been many tens of billions of dollars in fines. Amazon isn't paying any fines. No fines. No fines. And the second thing they're capitulating to, they were already saying they weren't doing, right? They've already been saying for years, well, we don't take the information from our third-party sellers and then use that to inform Amazon Basics. Like, that's nothing new. That's, that's what they've been saying they don't do for years, but they obviously have been doing it. The first thing is somewhat of a concession, but we don't really know how this is going to be implemented or how they're going to give equal access. Are they going to still require people to pay ads to get access? Probably, right? But now it's kind of like what the what Google did when the EU forced them to not make on Android Google the default search engine. Then they let the rival search engines bid for advertising to pick who's going to be your default search engine. And then Google still came out on top. 
right? So I think the EU is wrong for taking this deal. I think they should have kept going. Amazon, I think, comes out ahead on this. They're really not giving anything up of substance. And then this rule is only in place for five years. So by the time the thing is actually starting to work in three years, then they're going to have to start renegotiating it two years in advance of the thing actually starting to, you know, it's just, it's not a good deal. Now we are seeing a more positive note. We are seeing some progress in this case. There's a ruling against Amazon uh, about the sale of counterfeit goods. So Louboutin, right? You know, the red bottom shoes has sold, has, has sued Amazon because they say they should be doing more and should be taking responsibility for selling counterfeit Louboutin shoes on Amazon's marketplace. And now it looks like the the top court in the EU is agreeing with Louboutin and, you know, is going to bring a lot more scrutiny and responsibility to Amazon to properly police counterfeits on its site. It's something that really Amazon had only done. So for, you know, when Amazon did the deal with Nike, they said, hey, we'll take down all third party listings of Nike shoes. Boom. Like that. All third party listings of Nike shoes. Gone. Gone. But then when Nike walked away, from doing a direct deal with Amazon, then magically all these third-party listings came back, right? And obviously a bunch of those things counterfeit. So the platform has the ability to police these things when they want to, when they get the brand, when they get the supplier to play ball the way Amazon, the monopoly wants the brand, the supplier to play ball. But when they don't play ball, then Amazon says, well, huh, that's not my responsibility, section 230, that's not my problem. That's your problem, Louboutin. You need to send me, Louboutin, a notice if you see a counterfeit listing that you want me to take down. And I will then try to take it down within, you know, five business days. That's the kind of BS that Louboutin's having to deal with here. So that's progress, small progress, but progress. Here's another thing. So, you know, you got this TechCrunch article here from a couple months ago. Amazon to delist top seller Apario on India marketplace amid regulatory heat. So you say, oh, D-list top seller. What, is, what does that mean? But really, the headline should read, Amazon to delist its own seller, Apario, right? The deal and what Amazon was doing in India to get around these rules where they couldn't be both a 1P and a 3P seller. They couldn't have third-party sellers and they couldn't have 1P sellers, which is their own inventory, on a foreign-owned marketplace in India. Great law, by the way, for India. Very smart law by India to help provide a more competitive environment for their locally homegrown marketplaces against the international tech monopoly competitors, being primarily Amazon and Walmart. So Amazon basically then went to these third-party sellers, took stakes in those third-party sellers, (laughs) and then gave those third-party sellers like the exclusive ability to sell Amazon's 1P products. (laughs) So Amazon said, yeah, we don't have any 1P products on the store, but we have a network of like 50 third-party sellers that we just happen to own material equity stakes in that just happen to sell Amazon Basics products. And those listings just happen to get the top ranking listing on our site every single time. But it's not 1P India regulators, right? Shenanigans. And Reuters published a bombshell report on this, which we covered at length. And so now you're seeing this again slowly work its way. Where now Amazon is saying, okay, we have to take down Apario, which is basically just them taking down 1P products. That's what the headline should be. Amazon starts to take down 
It's 1P products amid regulatory heat. And they're not delisting a top seller. They're just taking down their 1P products to comply with the law that was put in place a long time ago. It's crazy. I mean, I, I have a tough time keeping up with this stuff. And that same fight, by the way, we're very close in the U.S. to having similar legislation, right, to help protect the role of third-party sellers on Amazon. We were trying to get it out for a vote prior to the midterms. It didn't happen. Amazon lobbied, spent over $100 million and other big tech to, to lobby, to get all these nonprofits that, you know, should really be ashamed of themselves, frankly, to toe the party line that, no, we need to focus on the midterms. We can't bring something like this to a vote. The NAW, the National Association of Wholesale Distributors, has done a great job really pushing to get that legislation front and center. It's actually co-sponsored by both Democrat and Republican senators and congressmen and women. So they actually had a bipartisan coalition, still do, but obviously they have to wait for now the new Congress to take hold. And then you got to go through, the, 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 the we got to get the momentum back and the whole rigmarole. Don't envy them. But they've done a great job to really help steward and push these bills that should hopefully now come to a vote in the U.S., um, House and Senate whenever the new Congress is installed. But a lot of those bills or a number of those bills focus on the same thing, which you now see Amazon capitulating to in Europe, but too loosely, in my opinion, the, the deal they have with the EU. But the same concept, Amazon taking advantage of third-party sellers, right? See it in India, see it in Europe, same theme. So we've got a really nice survey that came out of industrial distribution indis.com surveying uh, B2B distributors and what's going on with them and e-commerce. And what are they looking ahead for 2023 around this topic? So some really good takeaways here. Here are some highlights. This report comes with a, with a backdrop and I'd say a tailwind of a couple big distributors making pretty significant announcements and, and statements during their earnings calls, two of them being Granger and the other one being Fastenal. Uh, Fastenal announced they now have, have hit a billion dollars in e-commerce revenue, very big milestone for them, and that they are doing over $5 million a day in e-commerce revenue, which is pretty substantial. That's up from about $250 million in 2017, right? So in about five years, they quadrupled that line item, that e-commerce revenue. Pretty phenomenal development. And so you know, the CEO here, Dan Flornes, says we have really, I believe, found a way to make this part of our business. And it was really only a handful of years that we set out on this journey, right? So it can be done. E-commerce can be a very powerful growth mechanism for distributors. And you're seeing that here with Fastenal. You're also seeing that with Granger. Granger obviously owns Zorro. Zorro added 2 million SKUs to their platform this year. We've done prior videos mapping out the SKU growth and kind of Zorro's marketplace journey, which has been phenomenal to watch. Granger also announced that they expect to double the portfolio in Zorro over the next four to five years, right? So so bring it from, I think, six to eight million SKUs to double that. And they also expect the profit margins to increase into the high single digits over the next several years. So they seem very bullish. Granger seems very bullish on what they're doing with Zorro which has this kind of endless aisle concept, literally in their earnings documents, they call it like the endless aisle initiative. And then the rest of the survey really echoes a lot of that. So you have more than 80% of the respondents uh, said their company has an e-commerce capability. And about half of those 80% said that e-commerce is, is less than 5% of their revenue. 
So large majority of the survey is doing e-commerce, but still e-commerce is still a very small part of their business. Half of them, so 51% say e-commerce sales are up this year. The other half basically say it's about the same. 83% of them expect e-commerce sales to rise in 2023. A lot of the uh, backlash against e-commerce, you also don't really seeing that be a big issue here around pricing. 72% of respondents said e-commerce has not affected their respective pricing strategies. 16% said price transparency was a challenge to its e-commerce strategy. 80% of participants said that e-commerce has not impacted the size of its sales staff. Right, Only 9% said their sales department has declined in size. So that's a been historically a lot of the pushback from sales forces. Distributors have a lot of salespeople around, you know, price transparency, creating issues, the just wanting to fire all the salespeople. Right. So I think you're starting to see what Dan Florence is talking about is, hey, like, this is a this is a component of what we do, a very powerful, fast growing, one of the fastest growing parts of what we do, at least at, at Fastenal. But it doesn't mean that we're laying off all of our salespeople. It doesn't mean that our prices being out on, on the internet are now having price erosion or margin erosion in the other parts of our business. Those have really been probably the two biggest concerns and points of hesitancy from distribution about getting into e-commerce. And you're seeing that pretty much in spades with this survey. And I think some of these select remarks from Granger and Fastenal really debunking some of those big hesitations and actually going the other direction, right? Everyone being very bullish on the prospects of e-commerce, seeing growth in 2023 and past successes, particularly with these larger players who have been at this just longer than, you know, than the majority of the people in, in this poll that we're talking about. So honestly, I say not a surprise to me. I think a very positive result, really positive affirmation that B2B is going digital. The other thing I would draw attention to is if you look at the growth rates from B2B marketplaces, we just came out with our top 50 B2B marketplace ranking. Growing 20% a year is slow, right? Those are actually bad numbers if you're one of our marketplace kind of tech disruptors. Those marketplace disruptors are growing at 100, 200, 300% every year. That's the kind of growth <clears throat> that their investors expect out of them. And they're being much more channel disruptive and, and, and trying to rip out margin and do all kinds of crazy things. Go check out that report if you want to see that list. It's free. But yes, look, digital is inevitable. E-commerce and by the way, marketplace and these, uh, they're actually not mutually exclusive, right? You can look at e-commerce and then you can look at more disruptive ways to conduct commerce. If you're a large distributor, you need to be actually be looking at both. It's actually not one or the other. So I think 2023 prediction is we're really going to see 2023 be a big push, right? Where you didn't have necessarily the tailwind of COVID be the reason why you had really big fancy numbers in e-commerce growth and these kinds of things. I think you're going to see really pure, just natural, organic e-commerce growth in the sense that you don't have this outside kind of black swan event being a huge propellant. You're just going to see that natural behavior change continue to grow and accelerate in B2B distribution and hopefully for distributors to be able to take advantage of that trend. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll talk to you soon and have a great Christmas. Have a great Hanukkah. Have a happy new year.